What's going on, everybody? How you doing out there in the internet wrestling community world? It is me. It is me, the big old Stevie C, Steve Castellanovo here, bringing you another edition of the Heel and Face podcast here on Heel Turn Wrestling. What's up, everybody? Um, some really quick hits around the pro wrestling world today because we're going to focus on one aspect of it which dominated the entire news about wrestling 24-7 cycle which was the final farewell of one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time the phenom the dead man the undertaker his past Sunday at Survivor Series marked the 30th anniversary of The Undertaker's debut into WW then F now E and his long storied career as a professional wrestler, not just in the WW, but the random appearances in other promotions, most notably memphis and wcw so we'll definitely spend the majority of today's show talking about the undertaker's legacy we'll also review survivor series and what you thought and how my predictions didn't exactly come 100 percent true but i'm okay with it because it was another consistent pay-per-view and I was pretty happy with most of the results. And then uh, we'll get to random thoughts about all the other promotions around the world that have major happenings going on right now. And, of course, your thoughts, ideas, anything you want to say or want to think about what transpired this week in the world of professional wrestling including the undertaker's final farewell so as you know i know that you're here you know i know that you're a faithful watcher and or a listener if you're listening along on the audio version of this podcast but if you could continue to like share comment and subscribe to the facebook pages the heel and face podcast uh, it would be greatly appreciated and we do have a lot of fun here breaking it up chopping it up every Sunday at 2 o'clock but I'm thinking about changing the time I think I'm about moving the time up a little bit uh, I'm going to talk to the powers that be I'm going to talk to everybody on the network to see if they'd be cool with it um Two o'clock is turning kind of into an awkward time, but I think I might move it up on Sunday. So definitely check me out, like it, share it, tell your friends, comment below, hit the notifications, subscribe, do all the things that you do, and it would be greatly appreciated. Because we're trying to build a network here, not just of dank memers. By the way, shout out to Young Custodian, Headlocks and Hangovers for giving me 
the uh, dank meme that I posted on Heal and Face podcast Facebook page yesterday. But follow everybody. Go find everybody. Go find all of the shows on Heel Turn Wrestling by going to Heel Turn Wrestling or HT Wrestling, I should say. HT Wrestling 316. HT Wrestling 316. And you can go and look up all the shows. I was uh, listening along a little bit this morning while walking the dog to the Wrestling 2020 Trivia Show. That show is a lot of fun. Uh, you can submit your own questions if you feel froggy enough to jump. You can uh, listen along and kind of relive some of the memories because inadvertently or inevitably, when a question is asked, especially a good one, a stumper, uh, whoever is playing along gets stumped, that it brings up a good memory or a good discussion about how great a match or a wrestler or uh, an angle or whatever happened in the past in the world of professional wrestling was – just by simply answering a trivia question. And as a trivia geek myself, I really enjoy listening to the show. And I've even submitted a couple of questions before, and they were gracious enough to read one of them at least. Uh, so join that show in the mornings, the Sunday mornings, our time. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say our time. I should say Eastern Standard Time. I know there's a lot of us watching from around the world. So I can't really say our time, but Eastern Standard Time. I believe it's 10 or 1030 in the morning. And you can also check out, by the way, all of the other awesome podcasts on Heel Turn Wrestling. You could check out The Sleeper Hold. You can check out The War Room. Check out Piers Austin's uh, interview or interviews, I should say, with the world of Australian professional wrestling. He just keeps, keeps coming up with these amazing talent after talent to interview. He's really well dialed in to the Australian professional wrestling scene. So tune into those interviews. We've got headlocks and hangovers coming on after this show. So, I mean, if you want to know, of course, I forgot to mention uh, Billy Alexander, the franchise take five, what grinds my gears, all the other shows that he produces on heel turn wrestling so you know you're not going to be without pro wrestling content on our facebook page so go there like us subscribe do all the things and you won't regret it your your friends are doing it it'll make you feel good 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 so let's go from feeling good and i don't want to be the bearer of bad news but it seems like uh these days that it's 2020, y'all. It's wild. And there's always a hint of bad news. Unfortunately, we got one right here from uh, the independent scene. So longtime independent wrestler Jimmy Rave was forced to have an arm amputation because of an infection. And you can see right there. If you're watching along, I'll read parts of his tweet for you. I have been very blessed for the last 21 years in a professional wrestling and getting to live out my dream. Today, that dream has ended for me and I have a new reality. This post Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I should say, 
My world came crashing down when doctors found an infection in my left arm. I tried toughing it out, but by the time I saw a doctor, it was too late and they had to amputate my left arm above the elbow, thus effectively ending my in-ring career. So, bit of bad news, bit of sad news. If you follow Jimmy Rave in his career, he was at the height of his powers, as they say, during his time in Ring of Honor and in TNA. I think at the height of his career, he was part of the Rock and Rave connection with a young Lance Archer. So... I don't know if the Rock and Rave connection, I don't remember if they were a part of Ring of Honor at all. I know Jimmy Rave was in Ring of Honor for a while, a long time, and uh, he achieved a certain amount of success. I'm not saying that he you know, blew the roof uh, off the arena every time he came in to wrestle. And honestly, truth be told, I didn't really think much of him either. I just thought that he found his heel gimmick with the toilet paper. And that was, you know, basically the height of what he was going to do, in my opinion, which was be a guy who just kind of got cheap heat and um, never got above like. I wouldn't say mid card, but never got the status of where I think maybe he even thought he was. He had a chance in Ring of Honor to be a major player. And, I, and I'm pretty sure during a couple of his runs, he was um, in the title picture for the ROH heavyweight belt. I think he might have actually been pure champion once but i'm not 100 correct at least i don't think so you guys definitely would know so please comment if you have knowledge of that yo everybody 2020 is wild things are getting weird we are so hypersensitive to diseases right now okay that we are not taking proper care of our bodies and i know Look at me, right? I take up half the screen. Who am I to be telling people about uh, health and their health issues? Well, I mean, we're all doing what we can, and we're trying to, to stay healthy. And mostly with guys, uh, he uh, Jimmy basically said that he just blew this thing off. He didn't take it seriously enough, and um, therefore he let this thing – marinate too long and he didn't get checked out for it and he should have uh he thought he could just tough it out but it's one of those things where if it gets bad it gets bad real quickly and i'm going to assume it's was probably MRSA it's probably some kind of staph infection because there's no way a you know, staff and there's no other disease. There's no other thing that happens to you like that in the in the ring where it just happens that quickly. 
I feel like I don't want to get too conspiratorial here, but I feel like that we're so hyper focused on our immune systems that we're not letting them grow and function properly. We're actually taking away from them with all the sanitation that we're doing. Some doctors have even suggested that, that we're not letting our body fight at some point. And while we are hyper vigilant about COVID, all of the other diseases are coming back and staph infection is no joke. MRSA is no joke. There've been NFL locker rooms, including my hometown Cleveland Browns that have been shut down because of MRSA before and staph infections and they're no joke. And I would assume being a 20 year veteran and mostly independent shows that the rings aren't cleaned very well. The mats are disgusting. Uh, there is a thing for wrestlers to have back knee just because of how like gross the, you know, the mats are. I mean, you could go on after a show where it was a first blood match at a promotion and then you got to go out there and face the heavyweight champion after all the blood's been kind of dried out. So, I mean, I feel terrible for Jimmy rave and I hope that, um, he can still continue in the wrestling business despite his recent, uh, disability. And he actually made almost a hundred percent gimmick change. Apparently I haven't been following him that closely. I've been reading up on it though. Uh, made almost 100% gimmick change. Uh, he's not like the party guy anymore. He's not the uh, Shawn Michaels uh, kind of wannabe. And uh, everybody who comes in contact with him loves him to death. So best wishes out there to Jimmy Rave. He can't wrestle anymore, but I'm very certain that he can still contribute to the professional wrestling community uh, if he wants to be involved so god bless and uh stay strong jimmy appreciate that so i guess if we want to talk weird super weird about what went down this week in the world of professional wrestling the last place I would expect something weird to happen would be one at the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade, which was only sequestered to one block and mostly on closed circuit television around the city. But two, the weirdest person involved was The Rock. I would never have thought that The Rock would be involved in something kind of strange. Yet here we are. It's 2020 and... The Rock, yes, The Rock, the young 90s New Jack style rock, fanny pack and all, floated into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade to promote his show, Young Rock, which I'm not sure if it's going to be actually on NBC or Peacock TV, but the show is coming out soon. For those of you who don't know, Peacock TV is NBC's version of Hulu. They're streaming services. They're streaming mostly the things that they produce. They brought back Saved by the Bell recently for some of you 80s, 90s 
babies, if you're interested in that sort of thing. So Peacock is also going to be kind of an experimental place. It's going to be like a repository for shows that may not do well. They want to test shows there or shows that are being canceled that still have a cult following among people. They'll put it there. So, I mean, I'm not sure if Young Rock is going to be on regular broadcast TV or if it's going to be on uh, on Peacock. But there you go. So The Rock showed up at Thanksgiving. He just wanted to know if everybody enjoyed pie. I did. I enjoyed Dutch apple and I enjoyed pumpkin pie because I'm kind of a traditionalist. All right. Well, there's the rock floating in. I don't know if I'm going to watch the show. There's so much stuff that's just wrestling that, that I need to watch that. I don't know if I can venture off into other shows, but you know, you guys out there, if you ever see it, tell me uh, how it is eventually when it comes out. Speaking of all the wrestling that I want to cover, let's take a very quick look around what happened in the world of professional wrestling this week. A lot going on with a lot of the promotions that you see. And even though it's hard to like keep up on everything, there's enough of uh, the storylines or enough major news to just kind of give you a little overview, a little piece before we get into my thoughts on Survivor Series and the legend of The Undertaker. So first thing, and I'm really geeked about this, but there is a new Ring of Honor pure title winner and his name is the octopus john gresham so john gresham made it to the final in block b and block a was hot sauce tracy williams now if i'm not mistaken i predicted in the beginning that they were setting this up between it to be between gresham and jay lethal i was close it wasn't 100 percent right but i was close and Hot Sauce ended up defeating Jay Lethal in the finals of Block A. And he met John Gresham in the finals of the Pure Title Tournament. Ending, of course, with Gresham getting the win. Um, the match was just, just a classic and they've definitely ring of honor has definitely done a nice job despite all the noise of wwe and aew and all the other places where you kind of going back to like the 90s feel where there's one or two big companies on national platforms and then the rest are kind of stringing things along trying to put things together like uh Smoky Mountain, OVW, ECW, a lot of other little promotions. Kind of like it was in the 90s. Well, Ring of Honor, who I, if I, 20 years ago, 
I would have bet money that Ring of Honor was going to establish themselves as the number two promotion in the world, or at least number three behind New Japan, and then um, be the WWE's biggest competition in the United States. And boy, did that go sideways. But at least Ring of Honor has been able to hang on long enough to refocus, pivot, shift things up, and they brought back the pure belt, which I dug that belt immensely. And the tournament was really good, showcased a lot of great talent. I think Ring of Honor's going back to where it was in the early 2000s, maybe up to about 2006, 2007, before people started leaving again. I think they're almost at that level where they're letting all the young lions do their thing. And Tracy Williams versus Jonathan Gresham can be something that we'll see multiple times in the future. They have a lot of great stars that they are sticking with right now. They're doing the opposite of what WWE and AEW is doing, and they're going back to their roots to establish guys and it's working. Um, it's working on all levels and Jay lethal for his part, he lost to Tracy Williams, but he didn't do a whole lot of heel shenanigans. As a matter of fact, I think he stayed in the back for most of the match. And then he came out after the match to, you know, be there for Gresham to celebrate, but he also shook Tracy Williams's hand. So, even if Jay Lethal is a tweener or heelish, at least they're establishing the respect for the belt by the show of hands, the show of respect at the end. Tracy Williams shaking both John Gresham and Jay Lethal's hand. So Ring of Honor looks like it's coming back slowly but surely, and it looks like it's in pretty good hands. So moving on to new japan just a quick update on the world tag league three teams have eight points ishii and yano uh takagi and sonata and dangerous techers uh zach saber jr and taichi so they all have eight points everyone else has six, uh, two teams have four, and one team has two. Again, I haven't followed them a hundred percent. I know that uh, the World Tag League competition is always fierce, and uh, you should check it out when the finals finally get around to it. And of course, I'm sure they'll be talking about it on Headlocks and Hangovers, so stick around for them. One show that I definitely have continued to follow is MLW, Major League Wrestling, restarted last week. And now that they're promoting the Opera Cup, they had two Opera Cup matches this last week on Thanksgiving. So that was uh, a nice thing. First match was uh, the Dynastic Richard Holiday versus TJP. 
and Holiday finally was able to come back into the country. He was allowed to come back because he passed all COVID measures. He was, as he said, stuck in the Caribbean as the Caribbean champion. A match was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, Richard Holiday is a lot stronger than he is given credit for. Uh, his, I think his, his setup or one of his setup finishers, or one of his setup moves is actually a lot better than his finisher. He had a brutal white noise on TJP in the match. And uh, TJP also looks happy to be actually wrestling again. So good for him. It was a really well-done match. I guess Holiday is deceptively big because he doesn't look big. Of course, standing next to Alexander Hamilstone, uh, Hammerstone, uh, people tend to look a little small. But I guess he's 6'3 at 240, so he's a pretty solid dude. And um, Holiday's got all the tools you need, man, to be a successful pro wrestler. Uh, he, he was even athletic enough. Uh, to counter a lot of TJP's things. Uh, you know, TJP's TJP. I'm not trying to use that as a pejorative. He's a good wrestler on his own right, um, but he wasn't advancing and ended up uh, with uh, Holiday putting TJP in the market crash, which is a very wicked elevated corkscrew DDT. So, uh, Last week, or I should say during Survivor Series, a little tease, Angelo Dawkins had one himself, and it was really nice. But uh, Holiday gets the win and advances in the Opera Cup. Uh, the Von Erichs say hi from hi. They say hi from Hawaii, and they thank everybody for being fans, and uh, they were talking about what they were thankful for during Thanksgiving. Uh, camera broke into a recording session with Leo Rush and Leo accepted uh, Myron Reed's challenge for the belt at the upcoming pay-per-view. Uh, King Mo said Loki needs a brain scan and doesn't understand why MLW is letting him wrestle in the Opera Cup. Uh, Dan Lambert said he might even pursue legal action to keep Loki from wrestling in the Opera Cup. And Selena Del Rey uh, Renta came by. I'll, I want to say Del Rey for some reason. I don't know. But Selena De La Renta came down uh, and he she um, busted up a interview segment uh, to announce that she's going to sue MLW for all of her uh, compensation, losing her manager's license, losing access to MLW headquarters etc etc and she specifically called out conan for being the one to spread most of the lies about her uh calvin tankman debuted on mlw and i'm i've seen clips of calvin tankman but i've never seen him actually wrestle and let me tell you look out the dude is dangerous um he is a little sloppy, I noticed. He needs to work on kind of making sure that his moves are safe. But uh, the dude is like 380 pounds throwing uh, uh, side 
drop kicks or cart, whatever you want to call it, cartwheel kicks, whatever you want to call it. Um, getting up in the air, doing big man things. Uh, I like him. I'd like to see where he goes. I just want him to be a little more crisp in his moves because he is, since he's doing like pile drivers and stuff, uh, he's got to be really careful that, you know, he doesn't injure anybody, but doesn't look like anybody has been injured so far. And Tankman looks like he's going to be a huge professional wrestling star in years to come. And it was interestingly enough, or ironically enough, uh, Tankman's opponent's last name was Martyr. I don't know if we did that intentionally or not, but there it was. Uh, and then your uh, main event match was Lawler versus uh, Rocky Romero in the Opera Cup. Um, filthy Tom Lawler coming out in jean booty shorts is enough for me. It's it 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 was just it was too, it was enough. I already knew how this was going to go. Um, uh, Dominic Arini did not stay at ringside. No one from Team Filthy did. Uh, it was a pretty good match between the two of them. Uh, I think it was a lot of submission. I think Rocky didn't want to get punked by Lawler in the submission game. So he pulled a lot of veteran moves out on his own. Uh, Lawler came back and uh, I forget how good filthy Tom Lawler is at wrestling. It's scary how good he is at wrestling. Uh, the things that he does, the way he sells, the way he bumps, but the way he approaches wrestling is pretty pretty amazing i know he's pretty much done with his ufc career his mma career but he's going to have a very long career in pro wrestling and it ended up being the case he ended up winning the uh match and uh he then went on to talk about how uh, everybody's afraid of him and they don't, and he doesn't understand why low keys in the, in the tournament and this, that, and the other thing, no one wants to come out and talk to him because they're afraid of what he might say. So, okay, there we go. Crazy heel gets the win, uh, throughout the episode Contra intervened, uh, by trying to hijack the feed MLW headquarters is getting a lot better protecting us from, Contra, or at least seeking out Contra uh, to try to intercept them. Quick update. Speaking of Alexander Hammerstone, quick update. He suffered uh, concussive symptoms. They didn't come out 100% and say it was a concussion uh, from the attack by the mysterious figure right now known as the Black Hand of Contra. Um He's got some back injuries, but it shouldn't be permanent. It should only be temporary, and he should be back very soon to hunt more Contra. So that's kind of the major things. It's funny how most of the other promotions are in the midst of major tournaments right now or ending major tournaments right now, and the WWE and AEW are still kind of you know doing – their own thing. So uh, what a way to stand out, a way to stand out for some of the mid majors, so to speak. Uh, 
in professional wrestling is to do something that no one else is doing. So uh, good for them and uh, continue to watch them. I'm going to continue to keep up on all three. And oh, uh, by the way, before I forget, the reason why I was geeked about uh, John Gresham winning is that he's a dual champ. That's one. But two, he should be coming to a live wrestling event near me at the end of next month, near my birthday. So it should be fun. Not, I'm sorry, not next month, in January. So it should be a lot of fun uh, to watch Jonathan Gresham live and take the show. And speaking of MLW, Myron Reed is supposed to be there too. I think a lot of people from Ohio are going to be there, or at least Ohio, Pennsylvania area, because it's close. And uh, that's what wrestlers are doing now, independent wrestlers. They're kind of bubbling up themselves, only going to promotions where they know that it's the home promotion. They're not really traveling all over God's green earth. They're kind of staying local. So wrestlers that live in the Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia area are staying in Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. And then wrestlers who live in the Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky area are staying in the Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky area. So uh, good for them. Hopefully we can give it a go and hopefully I'll be able to uh, finally see my first live pro wrestling show uh, in a long time. So let's hope for that. I know one show that I saw that many of you saw was Survivor Series and let's just go to it then. Let's just talk Survivor Series. So overall, um, it was a consistent show. It was a good show. I enjoyed it. Um, there was I did have some problems with um, with some of the minor details of it, but I'm not really. I don't know if I'm going to nitpick. I think a friend of mine was actually, um, uh, he kind of, you know, talked me off the ledge out of one thing that happened. But again, you know, I'm just uh, picking minor details. I'm not really uh, analyzing it 100%. Uh, or I'm not letting it go, I should say. I'm probably overanalyzing it. So I'm not uh, too upset. However, one thing that did upset me was The Miz winning the Battle Royal. So on the kickoff show, I mean, The Miz keeps complaining that he is not a uh, mid-card guy, that he's a main event guy. And yet he wins a, I wouldn't even say mid-card, like curtain-jerking show, you know. Uh, the kickoff show is an excuse to get guys a paycheck who, and gals, I should say, a paycheck on a show. Uh, so I, the battle Royal did what it did. And Miz was the winner. And unfortunately for us, there was a Lucha spot that was buried. There was a standoff and a spot between Ray and Kalisto that was wasted on this stupid battle Royal. I mean, uh, I would not mind uh, watching an hour 205 live with Rey Mysterio versus Kalisto. They teased it. They got us 
interested and that would be a nice kind of way to pass the torch, you know, for uh, Kalisto, somebody who grew up loving and respecting Rey Mysterio to be able to wrestle your icon, wrestle your hero. Although that's been going on a lot lately. There's a lot of people who have idolized Rey Mysterio. But I think it would be fun to put them on, you know, put them on main event, put them on 205 Live, and promote the crap out of it. Hey, guys, you want to see the first time ever Rey Mysterio versus Kalisto tune in to 205 Live. That's what I would do. Other than that, nothing of interest was had during the Royal Rumble. Uh, or I'm sorry, the, the Battle Royal. Uh, the, the finish was kind of interesting. They did the, I'm going to put a guy over, but not put him over. Everyone thought that Dominic won. And, you know, this is probably to continue Dominic's push. But then, of course, the Miz, because he wasn't ever legally thrown out, snuck back in and threw Dominic out. There's your winner. Um, yeah. The next match kind of went how I expected, but I have to say, I get it. I get why and how they eliminated the SmackDown team, but it's whatever. Uh, Seth Rollins eliminated himself by being the Messiah and, and, and taking one for the greater good, as he explained. And he took a brogue kick from Sheamus and he was one of the first ones eliminated, uh, which got Team SmackDown, which is what I predicted. Team SmackDown was going to lose anyway. And uh, they were getting after each other. Then Braun Strowman got bored with them going after each other. So he decided to take matters in his own hands, chased uh, the entire SmackDown team down and beat the brakes off of all four of them and then threw uh, someone in the ring. I can't remember who it was. Uh, you know, as I said, the technically the heel team was the Raw team and the Raw team won. But I didn't realize, or at least I was hoping that it wouldn't be a clean sweep, and it was. I do see why that they wanted uh, Jay Uso to win. And that splash that he came off the top rope with or out to the ring floor with the Lucha spot was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, it just kind of shows that Jay Uso's fearless and that he'll take orders and, and he can try to be a leader and he, and he, he exceeds himself, which is, that's what I guess the story that you want to tell with Jay Uso. Um, it just seems, you know, there's no way, there's absolutely no way that Jey Uso would have beaten like four of the biggest monsters on Raw and AJ Styles. Uh, he did have a good showing of it, and I think that was the case that was pled to the Tribal Chief. I don't think the Tribal Chief was trying to hear it. I feel like the Tribal Chief demanded excellence from Jey Uso, and he was highly disappointed that Jay lost the match. 
I honestly thought that the Raw team would implode a little bit more, that maybe Keith Lee and Braun Strowman would go after each other. I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't happen that way. So Team Raw was the winner. Um next match was the match of the night, so much so that FTR member uh, Cash Wheeler tweeted thank you to both the New Day and the Street Profits. Um, you know, every time we lose faith in Vince and the WWE for their stance on tag team wrestling – to go and totally redeem yourself uh, is a nice feat. They both teams played to their strengths. Both teams did what they do well. Both teams pulled out enough stops and uh, they, they did a couple of new things. Like, as I said earlier in the show, uh, Andre Dawkins's or Angelo Dawkins is a corkscrew lifting corkscrew DDT or suplex, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was kind of like a crossroads. It's pretty good. And I hope he brings it out more, even though it's a double edged sword with bringing out a move, right? Like sometimes you really dig it and you want them to do it more. And then sometimes you want them to save it for big moments. So it's kind of like, I think Dawkins pulled this out because it was a big moment. Um, Dawkins had some really nice offense uh, with his comeback spot against uh, the New Day, who were kind of wrestling heel. Let's keep it real. I think they were a little edgier than they have been, especially Kofi has, was a little edgier than he has been. And uh, Xavier Woods is fantastic in the ring, so I don't know. Uh Ford practically uh, touched the rafters when he came off of the top rope for the frog splash. I mean, what can you say? It was just a well-wrestled match. The emotions were there. They didn't get too... We hate you guys, but they definitely... Both teams had an edge to them that was really appropriate. It uh, never got like dastardly heel tactics. Uh, it was pretty fair both ways. No crazy outside interference. No uh, really outlandish tactics on either team to win. It was just a great match. And yes, WWE, Vince, you could do it. I don't even think Vince book this match i don't even think he's interested in the new day or the street profits honestly which is a good thing so whoever booked this match whoever the agent or i'm sorry the producer who's in charge of this match uh well done um the guys involved doing it uh, well done this is what happens when you let professional wrestlers professionally wrestle when you treat people as professionals and and give them the benefit of the doubt and and make sure that uh that that you are confident enough that you know that they know what they're doing and how to do it well bam this is what happens 
by the way, I'm not a gamer, but I don't know if you noticed the big flex of the Gears of War 5. And interestingly enough, Gears of War 5 was also a sponsor of Survivor Series. Hmm. Uh, funny how that happens. But their ring gear was dope. Uh, not going to lie. Uh, all three of them. And uh, if you are a gamer, again, I should probably get paid for this shameless plug. But Gears of War 5 is now offering uh, the New Day as a DLC. So make sure you get uh, pancakes and uh, booty shaking when you play Gears of War 5. Next match. And it just kind of, this one kind of cooled down. I guess that's probably why they put it there. Um, I don't want to say that Universal Champion Lashley versus Intercontinental Champion Zane was an extended squash. But it it did what you would have predicted it to do. Um, now, I thought that Zane would actually win this match because neither one of these guys would have lost anything with with a win, a loss, or gained anything with a win. But really, I think it was just a way for Bobby Lashley to beat up somebody who's obnoxious. And when you have a cool, athletic, mean heel versus crafty, shifty heel, usually the big monster heel wins because you can't, like, physically manifest craftiness. And it was a good match. It wasn't up to what I thought it was going to be. And uh, Zane actually pulled out some, you know, some offense on Lashley. They didn't make him look like a punk. He was definitely looking strong. And he was talking a lot of trash. Of course, he does talk a lot of trash. He was drawing back and forth with uh, Michael Cole and with Corey Graves while he was wrestling. Uh, the Hurt Business ended up surrounding Sammy. He didn't really have anybody. I thought it would have been a perfect time for the other artists to come out to Collective to kind of help save him. But, uh, you know, it's lonely at the top, especially with all the conspiracy theories that uh, Sammy Zane's been spouting around lately. And then uh, he comes back and, and says uh, the greatest conspiracy is that no one wants to see him as – Intercontinental Champion, the most prestigious belt in the WWE. But, you know, to no avail, Bobby Lashley wins. I thought it was going to be a Zane that won, but really neither man loses or wins any momentum from this. It just stayed the same. You still know that Bobby Lashley is a, a complete monster who actually should be contending for the heavyweight belt. And we know that Sami Zayn is going to hold the intercontinental belt as long as he possibly can. This next match, it didn't steal the show, but it was pretty darn close. This was the women's SmackDown championship between, uh, I'm sorry, no, I take that back. This was the best of the best. This was uh, Sasha Banks versus Asuka. So this match was fantastic. And 
you know, first of all, we have a rating system established by uh, a guy who keeps changing what the ratings are. So I don't know if I would give this an Uncle Dave seven stars out of five, but the match was pretty close. What is or was the biggest question mark of Asuka's signing with the WWE? Would she be able to work WWE style? Would she be able to tone it down? Would she be able to kind of slow the matches down and wrestle, play to the camera more, et cetera, et cetera? Well, that we answered that question. Asuka is arguably one of the biggest female stars in the world, if not one of the best female wrestlers in the world. The other one, of course, being Sasha Banks. And I'm not going to say that without uh, any more hyperbole than it's due. Just the spot alone where Sasha held on to the hammerlock and wouldn't let go and rolled through it a couple of times. That is something that looked good against a wrestler that you know can grapple like Asuka, that you know has legit mat skills like Asuka. So that little snippet of beating Asuka at her own game, getting in Asuka's head was great. And not only that, but the athleticism of it was, was great too. Sasha Banks is one of the best female wrestlers in the world and people want to crap on her because she's practically WWE homegrown. They want to get on her because she's got famous relatives. They want to get on her for a lot of things. They want to keep making, uh, making up reasons. Most people do. Most wrestling fans want to make up reasons why Sasha Banks isn't one of the best. But when you look at Sasha Banks, She's one of the best wrestlers in the world. She could go right now into any promotion all anywhere in the world. She could go into Shimmer right now and wreck it. She could go to New Japan and work with them. She could go to any promotion. Um, just buying a ticket and sitting down at Daly's Place, she would vastly improve AEW's locker room. Um, anywhere in the world, Sasha Banks could go and be the number one wrestler there. And I know to some people that sounds a little bit extreme, but prove me wrong. Tell me what match Sasha Banks had that was so bad that you had to stop and, and pause. And remember, kids, I'll take you back a couple of years ago when everybody was crying about how terrible Sasha Banks was in the ring and how they didn't like her and they didn't like her style and she was sloppy and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. It's like, all right, cool. Watch this. Sasha Banks has steadily improved with every title defense, with every match, that she is one of the best female wrestlers in the world today. And taking on Asuka, who is also one of the best female wrestlers in the world today, was in a, a pretty great match. Very stiff, stiffer than I thought it would be. I think Sasha Banks has a chip on her shoulder. That's why she has to continue to prove why she is the best in the world. She talks a lot of crap about her being the best. Um, I know some people want to say different things about she changed her Twitter handle back to her original name. 
recently, um, maybe as a move to start separating Mercedes from Sasha Banks. Who knows? What I do know is this. Sasha Banks continues to put consistently four star matches out of five. She's been getting a B plus lately. Uh, I'm starting to think she's way better than Charlotte, way better than Sasha, way better than Bailey, way better than any of her contemporaries in the WWE right now. She's on par with Asuka, and I think that uh, the sky's the limit. And, and she knows it. She's just going to talk it, too. That's the fun thing about Sasha Banks. She's just going to talk it. Like she was, again, saying that she is the best in the WWE, and she doesn't care you know, who knows it or who feels bad about that or who has an issue with that. She just knows that she puts out the best match a week in and week out. And who's going to argue with that? Are you not me? Definitely not me. Um, from that women's match to the five on five women's match where team raw wins again by team, uh, SmackDown did not look good this week. They didn't take, they took a lot of L's. Matter of fact, the only raw winner was, um, well, let's find out anyway. Uh, but yeah, SmackDown did not look fantastic this week. Now, there were some things that happened in this five on five match, women's match that, um, were curious to me, were mystifying to me, but there were other things that the stories were so good and so well told and interwoven that it made it a match that it was better than it was supposed to be. So, um, basically, the entire match was Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler telling Lana to stay here. She doesn't deserve to be here. They didn't even let her on the ring apron. They just let her on the stage uh, stairs. So that'll come into play a little bit later. Um, so it was essentially Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans, who, if you're going to break up the iconics, fine, but don't put them in a similar, but don't put any of them in a similar group. I haven't been paying much attention to SmackDown lately, but I've been hearing that Billy Kay is really killing it like backstage and kind of in a managerial role, I guess, or uh, like a influencer role, kind of the same deal as, um, oh shoot. Who is the female wrestler in AEW who's trying to be an influencer? I can't remember, but it it's working there. And uh, I guess that's what Billy Kay is trying to do. And she's trying to get other wrestlers to go along with her or be their manager, valet, whatever you want to call her. Um, but if you're going to take Peyton Royce out of the Iconics, don't put her back in a similar situation, which is with Lacey Evans. Uh, but I guess... You know, LOL, like Vince is still writing it. So what do I know? So you've got the basically four of them plus Lana versus the rest of SmackDown. Oh, by the way, had a very good showing. They did a lot better than the men did, uh, quite frankly. And whoever is booking and training the women of WWE, they need to borrow them and move them over to the men's side for a while. 
the the match uh, made a lot of sense. Uh, the rivalries kind of made sense when they crossed out, like Lacey Evans knocked out Natalia, Peyton Royce got eliminated. Um, uh, the uh, Riot Squad got some really good offense in on uh, both Jax and Baszler, although it didn't last very long. The interesting thing that I saw, and I hope they use this to further the angle, was Ruby Riot actually did pin Shayna Baszler. So they were working over Riot, the both of them, and Shayna was in there with Riot. And, of course, uh, she, uh, Jax uh, tagged Baszler, and uh, she came in and put the Karafuda clutch on Ruby Riot, but Riot had the wherewithal to kind of flick backwards into the, the, the trap, the arm and head trap. Uh, Basler wasn't able to grapevine her legs around with the body scissors. So technically Ruby Riot pinned Shayna Baszler, but the ref was out of position, distracted by something, and wasn't there. And by that time, Ruby Riot basically made herself pass out, adding extra leverage of her own to Baszler's move, which forced the referee to count Ruby Riot out and eliminate her. I really hope, I really hope, and I haven't seen Raw this week, but I really hope, or SmackDown to be honest with you, but I really hope that this is something that leads to Ruby Riot storming Raw with Liv Morgan and saying, look, watch the tape. Watch Survivor Series exclusively on the WWE Network. Watch the video. I had you pinned for more than three seconds. That's all the proof I need. I tell you what, give me one more shot based off of that. And if we lose, we don't ever challenge for the raw or for the women's tag belts as long as you guys have them. But if we win, you know, we win the belts or something like that. I would definitely be interested in that. I would definitely be interested in the riot squad doing Heel work as baby faces by attacking Baszler and Jax from behind. Um, I will stop giving the WWE free suggestions and material to book this thing the right way. But I also think that the Riot Squad does deserve their final shot at the women's tag belts. Well, the only other things that were fun was uh, the... The suplex outside into the lucha spot, poor Bailey. Uh, you could audibly hear her ask if everybody was okay. So that's definitely going to be on Botchamania for two reasons. One, it's going to be on because you talk too much segment. But also it's going to be because it was a complete botch. She was barely caught. Basically, Bailey just did a back bump onto the uh, padded concrete floor. So. 
if you're not going to catch her, don't do the spot. Don't like what Dusty Rhodes said to Big Boss Man. Don't do anything that you don't know how to do. I know that was a terrible Dusty Rhodes, and I do apologize for that. But the point that I'm trying to make is they barely caught her. And not just Bailey, but Peyton Royce, because Peyton Royce was the one that actually did the suplex. Peyton Royce actually had it the worst because she was falling backwards and she was landing more on her head anyway. And none of the Raw women, none. Of, and you got the biggest woman on Raw, Nia Jax, taking the spot in the corner. And no one really caught Bailey. So um, good job for having trust in your fellow employees. But the best part was, of course, was that Lana was the sole survivor because the ending was pretty good, too. I got to admit that the ending of that was pretty good. It was a pretty uh, interesting way. Uh, Baszler wouldn't break the hold. So she was eliminated because she didn't follow the rules, which is that was kind of funny. Um, Belair, who, by the way, is a star, too. Let's let's not get that twisted. Belair is a future star. Uh, Belair, uh, after getting choked by Baszler, comes out and she starts mixing it up with Nia Jax, who is outside. And she'd been outside and the ref didn't start the count until she and Belair were fighting each other. And Belair threw her into the, well, didn't really throw her, but uh, sidestepped her at least enough where Jax took the announce table instead of Lana. Yay. Which I, that's part of good storytelling there. And then the two wrestled around and, uh, Belair lifted Jax over the barrier. Like sunset dropped her over the barrier. That's how strong Bianca Belair is. When they say that Bianca Belair is the strongest pound for pound or the pound for pound best athlete in WWE, they're not joking. Uh, as, 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 quote unquote tiny as she is she's deadlifting like 700 pounds so don't come at her at all and uh she took jacks over but unfortunately uh in doing so she was counted out so she and i jacks were both counted out of the match and lana was the sole survivor so i think that's kind of a nice little way for the wwe to say okay all right we're done burying you because of what Miro slash used to be Rusev said about us. We're done burying you because your husband and wife. We want to try to put it out there that we are very pro family. So uh, we're not we're not mad at you anymore. You're a survivor. We dig you, girl. We love you, girl. And uh, there was that. So the match was entertaining. I'm not going to put it over the top and say that was like the best match of the night, but it was definitely entertaining. And I'm a sucker for traditional Survivor Series matches anyway. Next, we had, uh, again, another best of the best. Universal champion Roman Reigns defeated WWE champion Drew McIntyre. Kind of like, again, how I predicted uh, what are you going to do when you have the future of the WWE going after the future of the WWE? You can make it hard hitting, which is what they did. You could make it just so emotional. You can. 
Um, they kind of kept it short, thankfully, because of the last segment. Uh, they kind of looked like that they were going to kill each other, and they actually did have some spots that I went, ooh, really, yikes. Um, it ended up with uh, with uh, McIntyre uh, countering a spear with a claymore. There was a ref bump, of course. And actually, you know what? They've been saving the ref bumps. It used, there was a while there where ref bump was almost every end to a WWE match, and they've been saving that. So hopefully, uh, I'm mean, not hopefully, but um, thankfully that people who were involved with the writing of this match, uh, or at least the booking so far, have used that more sparingly. So that was nice. Um, Reigns got a low blow on McIntyre. Uh, then uh, Jay Uso interfered with the super kick. Um, then R- Roman Reigns ended up locking uh, Drew in with his dragon sleeper choke. They're calling it guillotine. I don't know if they're calling it guillotine on purpose or they just haven't worked out what the move actually is, but um, I'm still call it a dragon sleeper. McIntyre gave up the ghost. He passed out. He didn't uh, tap. He passed out. And that's another one that they don't use as much. Passing out. They don't use that often enough. Um, so there you go. Your winner, Roman Reigns. Uh, no one lost anything. It's not like Drew uh, is getting buried now. He's still the WWE champion. Um, we all know that. Roman Reigns is uh, pretty much the focus of the company right now. Even though SmackDown did not do well, the Survivor Series, um, the champ won. That's the payoff of my little tease earlier. The champ won. So SmackDown overall did not do great, but at least the champ won. So I don't know if that's their version of balance or not, but it, it worked. Uh, Drew's not going to be buried. He'll probably win whatever match is set up for him at Royal Rumble. Um, Reigns, you know, you can't bury a, a hot heel, uh, or you shouldn't, or you don't, or they, whatever, whatever you want to use for it, it doesn't happen. So it was a good, hard hitting match. It was fun. There were some cringeworthy moments in it, but, you know, that match was good. The overall pay-per-view was good, not great. Definitely consistent, and I should say that the WWE has been putting together a very uh, consistent um, matches and uh, pay-per-views for all their faults and all the uh, things that uh, they are doing wrong right now. Uh, one of the things they're doing right is they're at least trying to put a pretty – uh, pretty consistent product out there. Um, just so Survivor Series itself was very good, and I like the fact that they 
got out of the way and didn't um, overshadow the final segment of this year's Survivor Series, which was a farewell to the uh, one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. And let's get to it now, shall we? Let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend, the final farewell of the undertaker, the phenom, the dead man. Um, what else is there to say really about this man's legacy that hasn't already been said? Um, they, took the final segment of the survivor series. And as you see right there, um, the mood is shifting. Definitely. Um, the mood was kind of upbeat in the beginning. And then, um, you know, you got to see a bunch of old old school stars to come out to pay tribute to The Undertaker. Um, guys that I didn't think would be there, and yet they were. Um, you saw, for obvious reasons, guys like Kane, uh, the, the uh, uh, Ric Flair was out there. A um, bunch of guys... But um, one guy that wasn't out there to pay tribute to The Undertaker was Mick Foley. And I don't know if it was conspicuous by his absence or that he uh, didn't make it for whatever reason. But I don't know. He wasn't there. So... Um, Sorry, I'm fixing something, or at least I'm trying to fix something on the fly. Um, all right, here we go. I have decided that The Undertaker is going to be the superstar of the week. Just what can you say that can't be said about The Undertaker? We'll talk about him for the final segment of the show. So I was a little shocked that Mick Foley wasn't there. I wonder why. He Mick Foley helped create with him one of the most iconic moments in WWE history. Um, but there were a lot of guys out there to help him celebrate. And uh, it's funny, like Savio Vega was there. Uh, they mentioned Yokozuna, even though obviously uh, the, the big man has since passed. Uh, they, they did talk a lot about the BSK. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, um, the BSK stands for the backseat crew. So in those, uh, early nineties, especially when, um, the WWE was a little thin for talent, uh, when Hogan left Savage left and people were questioning whether Vince would be able to survive the steroid era. And we all know this was pre attitude era 
but we got Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and those guys. Uh, but there was also kind of a, a click, so to speak, before the click. There was a group of guys that hung out together in the back seat of all the tour buses. And it would basically be the, the basically it was understood that the way back of the tour bus was uh, specific for uh, Yokozuna. Obviously, he had to take up the whole entire back bench. Uh, but, you know, of course, the rest of the Samoan family was back there. R- uh, young Rikishi, uh, you know, all of the other uh, tr- wrestlers trained by uh, the Wild Samoans sat in the back. And, of course, The Undertaker was part of the BSK, too. So we're talking about the Samoans. We're talking about Savio Vega. We're talking about the Godfather. And we're talking about the Undertaker. Guys that weren't really like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, main event era guys, but guys who kind of congregated because they really didn't have anybody. And they started to call themselves the backseat crew because that's where they hung out and that's that's where they get – uh, the BSK from, and that's how they became such good friends. So it was really interesting to see uh, Savio Vega there. It was really interesting to see a bunch of guys that I didn't expect to be there. And uh, I laughed out loud and I said uh, to my friend uh, who I was kind of Zooming with, I said, wouldn't it be funny if uh, Midian was back there at catering and as soon as I said that, the Godwins came out and Michael Cole had some offhanded comment about at some point, Phineas Godwin also came, uh, became Midian under the ministry. And I don't know. It was still kind of a funny, surreal moment. Um, I don't know why Michael Cole had to remind us. I think he was told, obviously, probably told by Vince to remind everybody that he was Midian in case people couldn't recognize him. Like, I could understand if later fans of The Undertaker saw two weirdos in overalls walking out to the ring, wondering why they're there. Everybody was kind of gimmicked up, including Kane. Kane came down all gimmicked up. Probably out of respect for The Undertaker. But I think it was weird. Um, that, uh, you know, they came out like that in a, in some sense. And, uh, they had to remind people who the Godwins were, even though like triple H is still friends with Henry Godwin. So, um, you know, that was an interesting tribute. I don't know why they did it like that. I guess they wanted the undertaker to have his own, uh, his own time by himself in the ring. And I don't think they planned it like this either, but, um, this is also to the day 30 years ago that the undertaker made his debut, um, on WWE. It's that famous line that they've cut off from Roddy Piper. Look at the size of that hammock. Yeah, it's a corny line too, but it's Piper, so just let it be. Um, I don't know if they planned it particularly like that, but um, that's that's how it came out. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make 
the Undertaker, the superstar of the week. What are some of his accomplishments? Well, WWE champion four times. That enough alone should solidify. Uh, he had the big gold belt three times. He was hardcore champ once. That's pretty hilarious. He was uh, tag team champs with Steve Austin, Big Show, The Rock, and Kane. So he's six-time tag champion. He was WCW tag team champion with Kane when they were doing the uh, Brothers of Destruction thing with the WCW takeover. Uh, multiple Royal Rumbles. Uh, he was the world-class Texas heavyweight champion as Texas Red or Big Red. Um, he was a USWA heavyweight champion once in Memphis. That's where he got discovered, by the way. He came up from Memphis. Um, pretty much homegrown. I mean, with the exception of spending time in Texas, in Tennessee, in the Carolinas coming up, part of the skyscrapers with Danny Spivey and uh, being originally managed by Paul Heyman, uh, pretty much Undertaker's been nothing but WWE. And this is also an era where the WWE and especially Vince was on that gimmick kick, right? Like practically everyone from 89 to 94 95 was a gimmick even real life guys were a gimmick like even alex porto was the pug i mean you vince was desperate for talent he wasn't sure that wrestling fans were gonna know who half of the guys he hired so instead of the dirty white boy tony anthony he had to hire uh tl hopper to kind of be a uh takeoff on dusty roads Instead of hiring Wild Bill Irwin and at least trying to put over these Minnesota from Minnesota, uh, he hired the goon, uh, Duke Drosy, uh, sight unseen, Buzz, because he was the 500th wrestler one year in PWI 500, and because he was from Florida and he could make it to shows because he wasn't really doing anything. He became Duke the Dumpster Drosy. I mean, gimmick after gimmick after gimmick after gimmick. Uh, and Vince was really drawing, trying to draw its draws to, to find someone that would connect with the audience. And he just so happened to have created pretty much the best of all of those gimmicks, the best of all of those uh attention grabbing crowd drawing characters and he gave it to the perfect guy the undertaker when i first saw the undertaker all those years ago at survivor series i was floored and absolutely uh, astounded to see him too i had never seen a human being that big before and, you know, I watched football. I knew guys could get big, but I never in a million years imagined that someone would ever be that big. 
Uh, and of course, I hadn't really paid that much attention to WCW. Uh, I, I I knew that the guy existed, but to present him in the way that Vince McMahon presented him, and for mean Mark Callis, Mark Calloway, the Undertaker, to embrace the gimmick of the Undertaker and just to totally immerse himself in it and come out as the Undertaker and work it to perfection. I mean, that stops your heart. That stopped my heart, you know? And I was not exactly a mark in that way either. I didn't like, oh my gosh, you know, believe wrestling was 100% what it is um, or what it was supposed to be. But good Lord, you see a guy who's 6'10", 300 pounds, and he's jumping off the top rope. He's doing the catwalk. He's so disgustingly athletic. Um, and you and you have to do a double take. Um, I was I, I was legitimately shocked that there were people that large and somehow that Vince McMahon found him or that he came to the WWE. The Undertaker's legacy is going to be that of the best wrestling gimmick of all time. And not only that, but it's going to be a story of perseverance, a story of survival, a story of taking a scary bad idea or something that could potentially go wrong and and going with it and making it your own. For every red rooster, there is the undertaker. And as far as Vince McMahon goes, the whole idea of The Undertaker completely validated everything Vince McMahon believed about professional wrestling. Because the criticism of Vince McMahon is that he's out of touch and that he's stuck in his ways and he won't change and he won't do the right thing by trying to change. But then when... The things that he hits out of the park, Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, that just uh, solidifies Vince McMahon's resolve to do things his way. So part of The Undertaker's legacy is also intertwined in Vince McMahon. The gimmick was his idea. The storylines were his idea. And as much as Vince came up with those ideas, yes, of course, he had to have somebody to do it. And The Undertaker did it and executed it all perfectly, pardon the pun. I think that it steeled Vince McMahon's resolve to do these kinds of things. So you continued to see, even, even today, Kane was supposed to be some wizard magician that was caught interdimensionally i mean mankind was supposed to be morgus the maniac or something and he was supposed to come out to be some type of serial killer uh gold dust think about all the other things that vince mcmahon and think about vince mcmahon if he doesn't create you he doesn't really care about you if you're part of his ideations 
you get pushed, you get looked at, you get double chances, third chance, fourth chance. And part of this is why. But let's get back, not just to the gimmick, but to the person. It's not going to work if the right person isn't in the right situation. I know that is Bruce Pritchard's and Vince McMahon's official line about Terry Taylor, who could have been a way bigger star than he was. If he had just been allowed to be Terry Taylor with Bobby Heenan managing him, Terry Taylor at least would have won the Intercontinental belt. But another discussion for another day. The point I try to make about that is the big high sign from WWE, their big standard is if the guy commits or the girl commits to the gimmick, then it'll work. And the reason why half the stuff that people have committed to or people didn't commit to didn't work is because they didn't believe in the character. They didn't believe in the idea of it. And uh, that doesn't work all the time. Like not everybody can be an undertaker. They're putting a lot of that currently into the fiend right now because Bray Wyatt has embraced Bray Wyatt and has embraced the fiend. Although Bray Wyatt doesn't have a whole lot more space to go in WWE because WWE already cut his knees off out from under him twice. So the biggest complaint from the higher ups in WWE is the gimmick will work if the wrestler commits. And this is a perfect example. Interestingly enough, Undertaker is a conservative Christian. He's made no uh, bones about that. Uh, he, He's a supporter of Trump and whatnot. But for him to embrace that dark side, I think there's uh, I think that was fun for him. I think there was a release for him. I think there is a dark side to him. I mean, look at all of his tattoos. Look at all the things that he's into. And he's into, you know, kind of the outlaw thing as well. Um, there's a little bit of that, I guess, in everybody. And there's a little bit of embracing the darkness in everybody. And he was able to tap into that and channel that. And see where it goes, and it made him millions of dollars. And speaking of biker and whatnot, another important issue of The Undertaker's legacy is the fact that The Undertaker was able to adapt and still essentially remain The Undertaker. Whether he was the original Undertaker, whether he was the Ministry of Darkness Undertaker, whether he was the American Badass. And that's probably the American Badass is probably the closest to Mark Calloway that the Undertaker ever got. But he never lost his Undertakerness. You still knew that was the Undertaker, uh, the big, big evil, the big, big red evil, um, all of his gimmicks, all of his incarnations, the American Badass. Uh, still essentially the undertaker, uh, whether he's jeans or, you know, biker chaps coming off the rope and smashing you, uh, or if he's old school undertaker walking the tightrope and coming down and smashing you, he was still essentially the undertaker. He was still in the essentially unstoppable force, toughest wrestler out there. So any era undertaker, remained one of the best wrestlers 
And if you want to go from 89, let's see, for 30 years ago, uh, yeah, 30 years ago, uh, if you want to go from 89, 90 to now, who is consistently one of the best wrestlers? If we're going to try to call this the modern era, who was a wrestler who was always there, always won, top-level main event guy, ever since he was brought into the company, top-level guy? To have all the championships, to be loyal to the same person, to be friends with the owner of the company, that's another part of it. The Undertaker's legacy is that he was able to pretty much do whatever he wanted, but he never took advantage of that. He knew when to be Undertaker, and then we, he knew when to be Mark. And when he was Mark, he was the greatest guy around, great friend. He never thought of himself as the top guy. He was always deferential, always respectful of other people, well-loved, well-respected in the locker room. We know about the instances of uh, him dealing with Shawn Michaels. We know about the tape fists incident. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, the whole Undertaker tapes fists meme came from the fact that during the Montreal screw job. He was not sure if Shawn Michaels was going to lose the belt to Brett or not. And if the fix was really in, The Undertaker was going to, quote unquote, handle business. He was very good for the business. It's kind of sad that kayfabe is dead he was one of the last professional wrestlers to keep kayfabe like completely keep kayfabe um mjf is kind of building it back again but that's a different podcast different story uh, the undertaker is one of the few guys to keep the belief that wrestling is you know legit he took wrestling very seriously he brought it to a level of respectability and he helped guide the company, especially the WWE through the dark time all the way through to its highest glory during the attitude era was a main event guy during the attitude era was a main event guy everywhere he went. Yes. Long in the tooth late in the later years would only come to do WrestleManias and other special shows like the God awful, uh, Saudi Arabian shows and whatnot. But, Always loyal to the company, always a professional, always amazing, uh, never really gave a bad performance. It was only the other wrestlers that gave bad performances. Sorry, Bill Goldberg, not trying to bury you, but uh, you were terrible uh, in the matches with The Undertaker in Saudi Arabia. Um, and when he was bad, he admitted it. The Undertaker was very much a professional, did not want to leave the crowd with a bad taste in their mouth, knew that he was involved with a couple of stinkers at the end of his career, didn't want his legacy to be like that. And how ironic, by the way, how ironic is it that The Undertaker's final farewell was in front of an empty arena? It was the uh, the same exact day that he debuted, but instead of wowing and shocking the crowd, the fact that the crowd wasn't able to be there to chant a legit organic thank you taker 
was a little upsetting, uh, a, a little sadly ironic, but the undertaker was able to go out with a proper farewell and the way that it was framed. And yeah, I know some people thought it was a little silly with the hologram, but I thought it was great. Uh, the Paul bear thing and everything, uh, worked out to perfection. And despite not being able to go out in front of fans, I think the undertaker went out the, the way he came in, which is a shock, which was respect, which was immediate, uh, eyes on the product and uh, thank you Undertaker for amazing 30 years of entertainment uh, just being almost the perfect wrestler and almost the perfect wrestler at the perfect time at the time where Vince really needed you but also in a time where uh, at any point um, it couldn't have worked or it, it didn't it wouldn't have worked and you made something that was kind of goofy, kind of crazy. You made us believe in it. So, uh, so God bless you, the undertaker. And the final question of the podcast, I know we're running a little long, but the final question of the podcast is this, does the undertaker deserve goat status? So I put this out there, and I may actually uh, continue with a poll. But does the Undertaker deserve to be goat? Now, as amazing as the Undertaker is, is he the greatest professional wrestler, or is he part of the greatest gimmick? The questions come up to make an analogy to another sport whether or not Tom Brady is a real goat or if he was just a system quarterback, even though the it's been one year, if you're a sports fan, if you're a football fan, you can see that Tom Brady looks like just with this year, looks like that he in fact is a really good quarterback and that he is not just a system quarterback plugged in by Bill Belichick. How does that relate to The Undertaker? Would The Undertaker have achieved such high heights as a professional wrestler if he wasn't The Undertaker? If he was just mean Mark Callis coming into the WWE? If he would have worn a black leather biker vest and wrestling trunks, blue wrestling trunks to match his shocking red hair, do you think he would be as great as he was? Or was the gimmick that Vince saw in him so amazingly obvious because Vince too has had a morbid sense of humor. Is that something that Vince always had in his brain that he wanted a character like this? I mean, honestly, let's put it this way. When's the last time we actually heard of undertakers? Like we know there's morticians. We know there's people who deal with funeral parlors. We know that there are funeral directors but the last time we ever heard of like Undertakers was more of a Wild West thing, right? And how Vince McMahon was able to take a archetypical character from the Wild West and bring him to life as almost like this mysterious godlike creature. Is it the gimmick or is it the man? If Mark Calloway or Mark Callis was not the undertaker. 
would he still be on par with Ric Flair? Would he still be on par with Luthez? George Hackenschmidt? Hulk Hogan? Stone Cold Steve Austin? The Macho Man? This is going to be a tough one. So as much as I love The Undertaker, as much as I followed his career, as much as I was amazed by him, as amazing as he is, I don't quite think The Undertaker meets GOAT status. He's got all the tools, but is he one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time? He's right outside for me. I think he might eventually, after time, move up into the top 10 of greatest professional wrestlers of all time. But I can't help thinking that if it wasn't without his gimmick, if, if it was just Mark Calloway wrestling, if it was just Mark Callis wrestling, I don't know if we would regard The Undertaker as a great wrestler all around or even Mark Calloway as a great wrestler all around. So it pains my heart to say that. Trust me. Trust and believe. If we're going to put him on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling, then we got to really look at who's on that mountain and see if he's worthy to be on that mountain. For me, The Undertaker is so close to GOAT status. He's almost GOAT 1A. He's outside looking in. If if you had to twist my arm and put me in the old school maneuver, I'd probably have to say, okay, let's put Undertaker in the GOAT category, but let's put him at 10. So maybe I'll change my thoughts on it. Maybe I'll think about it this week and come, and come back with something more definitive. But I would like to say, just right now, I don't know if the Undertaker is a GOAT for me. I think he's very close, but I don't think he is, although he is an amazing wrestler and he's always been the uh, uh, like one of the all-time uh, best wrestlers out there. Um, who knows? Maybe he does deserve GOAT status. Tell me what you think, by the way. Tell me what you think on Twitter. Tell me what you think on Facebook. Uh, you can always go back and you can always uh, let me know um, what you think about The Undertaker throughout the week. Uh, by the way, thanks for joining me today. I know I went long a little bit, but uh, really enjoyed uh, talking with you, rapping with you about uh, The Undertaker. Maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll do another edition of The Three Count, the mini, the micro podcast, on uh, and tell you about uh, the top three matches of The Undertaker in my mind. Uh I'm going to rethink the GOAT status. Maybe I'll even put them in, but I want to know what you think. Go ahead and comment below, share it, talk about it. Give me reasons why I should put The Undertaker in the GOAT category. Um, but uh, thanks for joining me again. I hope you have a, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope uh, the holidays continue to pay off for you. Um, and definitely keep up on pro wrestling. I know I will. Uh Thanks for watching. Thanks for joining me on the Heel and Face podcast on Heel Turn Wrestling. And as always, peace.